John chapter 17, we're going to be in verses 6 through 19. That's where it will be this morning. Hear God's word as I read it for you. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Praise be to the Lord. Well, good morning, church. Oh, Sherry and I attend a black church in Atlanta. You're going to have to do better than that. Good morning, church. It's uh, good to be with you this morning. And uh, as, uh, as Pastor Andrew said, we work for Equipping Leaders International, training, training leaders in India. 90% of the world's pastors have less than an hour of theological training. They have plenty of zeal, lots of love for the Lord. They just have very little training in the Word and in theology. And uh, so that's what old gray-haired guys like me get to do. I don't know if you, you saw the the wry smile on Andrew's face when he said seasoned veteran because he wants to go and I told him he's too young. They're going to look at that face and say, is he even a pastor? And uh, so he needs, you need to give him a few more scars, mistreat him a little more, and then he'll be eligible and ready to go. Uh, I go again in July. You can pray for this trip. The, the last week of the, of the month of July, I'm scheduled to be in Nepal. And uh, it'll be my first time there, and we're working with a man we haven't worked with before. And uh, so I've seen pictures of his house. His house has been crumbled, and he and his family are living in a tent out in front of the house. So I don't even know if we'll be able to get into the country. We'll see so you can pray, not only for the people of Nepal, but also for the opportunity to go and train some pastors and actually get into the country and accomplish uh, the gospel mission that we have. So we're in John 17. And I want to start by telling you a story from the late Jim Boyce. He tells the story of a young pastor in Guatemala uh, many years ago who went, who, who went from seminary to, and, and he went to a remote and, and an unpopular region of Guatemala in a mountain area called Cabricon. And the church he went to pastor was small. There were only about 28 members with two elders and two deacons. And yet these these believers, this small church was highly committed. They were meeting together most nights of the week, and at, but they were meeting at the church and doing no real outreach. And so the new pastor, he said, well, God can't be really satisfied with what we're doing. So he proposed a new format. 
What they did is they stopped all the meetings that they were having at the church building itself, except Sunday morning. And in their place, they began home meetings. So on Monday night, what they did is they all met in a home in the church in one area of the region, and all the believers were, were invited. And on their way to this home, they were to invite anyone they encountered on the way. And so that's what they did. And then on Tuesday night, they met in another home that was chosen from the church, and, and the same method followed. They all went to that home, and they, of course, were following a different path to get to that different region, and so they invited all the people they encountered. And so they did this night after night, and within four years, the church had 800 members. So the next year, they planted another church, and, and, and within a few more years, there were six churches in that mountainous region, too, which have had almost 1,000 members. Now, that's an amazing story of God's grace and the work of God's people. It's a story of how God works through his people when we remember that our mission is to the world, but, but not primarily to India. Your mission is primarily here to Carrollton, to your own community in in Carroll County. So John 17 is the record of the prayer of Jesus on the last night of his life before the crucifixion. And the subject of the prayer focuses on Jesus finishing the mission that the Father has given him and the transfer of that mission to the church. So Jesus says, as the Father has sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And, and you know, the word send in our English version is translated from Greek. Well, the Latin equivalent in the Latin Bible is the word missio from which we get mission. So the word mission means to send, whether it's sending the military or or an ambassador or a pastor into the mountains of Guatemala or to India. Jesus says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending them. Now, I think you could look through the Gospels and you can make a long list of how the Father sent Jesus, but 10 and 12 point sermons are cumbersome. So we're going to focus on just three points that I have this morning. And I want to show you my cards up front. I don't normally do that. But my three points this morning are to preach the good news, empowered by the Spirit, and protected by the name. You see, as the Father sent Jesus, he has sent us. First, he has sent us to preach good news. Now, everyone's a missionary. Do you realize that? We're all engaged in trying to convince other people to be like us, whether it's what we eat or how we dress or what books we like or or how to do ministry or how to parent children. Everybody, unbelievers included, are missionaries. If you know someone is hurting or sick or, or with similar stress and trials as you, then it's the normal human thing to connect and to share experience and to point the way out of trouble. That's true whether you've had cancer and lived or whether you're Michael Jordan telling a young Tiger Wood what it's like to be number one. You see a need and you offer a solution. You're on a mission. The question is, is what mission are you on and what is the solution you're offering? Look again at verse 4. Jesus says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And then in verse 6, he says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. You see, the mission of Christ 
was to, res- was to reveal the Father's glory. You know, much of the world sees God as some kind of petty dictator. In, in Hinduism, he is the destroyer, Shiva. Instead of having a redeemer like Jesus, they have a destroyer that, to be feared whom they try to appease to make sure that his disfavor doesn't look on them. And, and you'll find religious people all around the globe are offering moral allegiance, somehow hoping to please God enough to get to heaven and to be left alone. And the non-religious, well, they say, why bother? You might as well live for yourself rather than serve some tyrant, rule-making God. And into that mess and unbelief comes the Lord Jesus Christ himself straight from the Father's throne to reveal that God is a God of grace and mercy and love. Here's, here's Jesus' first sermon from Luke chapter 4 and verse 18. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You know, being a sinner is an awful thing. And, and everyone who sins, everyone is born into it. All you got to do is watch a toddler if you want to see a tyrant in the making. Jesus says, if you're a sinner, I have good news. I've come to proclaim the Lord's favor. I've come to set you free. So in John 8, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son, a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now that is incredible. And and did you see the underlying uh, meaning there? The father has sent his only son, Jesus, to turn sinners into adopted sons of the father. And this morning we get to celebrate that at the father's table. The son, of man, the son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men would become sons of God. It's incredible grace. And if you know the story of the garden, you know that Adam and Eve were given everything, everything they could ever need or want, and they were given only one prohibition, not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and Satan came and he questioned the generosity of God and instead offered them the opportunity to become their own God, to be his substitute, to be independent. And instead of focusing on the bounty, they focused on the boundary. And so they took the temptation to be their own God. And now because of that, every one of us now is born a slave to that proposition. We spend our lives as spiritual orphans substituting for God. And that's what the Bible calls sin. And that sin deserves the justice of God because a perfect God is just or or there would be no hope at all. Somebody has to pay. You know, if you're in a car wreck, somebody has to pay, right? You can forgive the person who hit you and then who pays for the wreck? Well, you do. You see, forgiveness isn't free. Somebody has to pay. And so the Lord himself, into the world of sin comes a redeemer. God comes himself who pays for our sin. He substitutes for us on the cross. And with his perfect life, he brings us reconciliation. You see, Jesus reveals to us a father of grace. 
a father who's unimpressed, by the way, with our attempts to save ourselves. So he sends his own son. Now that hardly sounds to me like a third-rate dictator or a tyrant. It sounds like gracious love to come and save himself. And so in the same way that the Father sends Jesus to reveal, reveal the Father's glory, particularly to broken people, he sends us to reveal the glory of Christ. Look at verse 10. He says, All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. So just as the Father sent Jesus to reveal his glory, so we're sent to reveal the glory of Christ. So when Paul is dealing with the churches, he he writes them letters when they get off track a little bit, and he writes a couple letters to the Corinthian church, which is maybe the most horrible church in the New Testament. And and he he writes this this particular letters to them because of their many divisions that are, they have all these divisions in the church that are based on pride about who's in what camp. Some Some follow Dwight, some follow Eric, others follow Andrew, right? Well, Paul says some follow Apollos, others follow Paul, and others Peter, and others Christ. And Paul says, listen, listen, only Christ was crucified for you. Follow him. And And then he says, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You see, that's the good news of the gospel. And beloved, that's our mission. That's our purpose as the people of God to preach the good news of the cross of Christ. It's the only thing that changes people's lives. You can be skinny and go to hell. You can be fat and go to hell. It doesn't matter. What matters is whether you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. So in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. New. The old is gone. The new has come. It's incredible. He says, All this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, listen, gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. That's incredible good news. And then he says he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. You know, the president sends out ambassadors. Those are cherry-picked positions. If you donate a lot of money to the campaign, you get to go. In the kingdom of God, well, we don't have anything to offer to the Lord. He gives us everything, and then he sends us out. So, you know, the, the president doesn't send ambassadors to other American cities. He sends them to foreign lands. And that's how Jesus came, and that's how he sent us into the world. That that mission isn't heading to social media to take positions on whom to, who's to blame in the race riots in Baltimore. That's in our mission. The, the mission is the glory of Christ revealed in sacrificial love in our own community right here in Carrollton. What it means to be a Christ-centered church 
is not meet, meet, simply to talk about grace or the cross or Christ or even to make that message front and center in the pulpit like I know it is here. What it means to make the core of your ministry and the reason for existing as a church to be missional t- is to be missional to the world in which God has placed you. Taking the gospel of love and forgiveness to the poor and the brokenhearted and those who mourn and those who have no hope. You see, that's what that little church in Guatemala discovered. People weren't flocking to their church, even though they met every night. I'm sure they had a great sign out front (laughs) and an easy U-turn out there on the highway. (laughs) That brought the crowds once they fixed that problem, I'm sure. No, what they did is they moved their ministry to their homes into the heart of the community and they boldly included the world. Now, that's a little easier in a majority world country where everybody's outside every day and you're going to meet people along the way. You know, you can't really meet people driving through Carrollton. So it's going to take a little more work for you to know your neighbors and to know the people around you, but it's worth the work. You see, they literally became ambassadors for Christ, representing his love and forgiveness as they walked through their community. Well, the second thing I wanted to show you this morning is that they, that we are powered, empowered by the Spirit. So we're being sent like Jesus, and what motivates us to go? Well, it could be a guilt-ridden sermon from the pastor, but you see, guilt has no power to motivate you more than a couple days. Here's what verse 13 says in our text. But he says, but now I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. The motivation, the motivation for mission is joy. Jesus has been telling them all evening that he is going away and that because he's going back to the father that they're going to grieve, but that he will send them a helper. He'll send the Holy Spirit in his place and that their grief will then be changed to joy. You see, when you have a life-changing experience with the Lord Jesus, you don't just get sins forgiven. You become a son. You get the fullness of the presence of God in your life through the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know how the metaphysics of all that work. I don't know how God could be living inside of us, but I know that he does because the Bible says so. Because Jesus says so. You see, when Jesus was baptized with water, the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And as the Messiah, Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to fulfill his mission. But you see, his work here is over. He is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. And so he sent the Holy Spirit to each of us so that we might do our work. And that's the promise of the gospel. You you could say that we have the same job as the Holy Spirit, which is to reveal the glory of Christ. And it means that we're participants, we're partners with God, the Holy Spirit, in the revealing the mission of the good news of the gospel of Christ to the world. Now, that's amazing that he would include us. It sounds pretty dumb, actually. As pathetic as we are at mission, I, I know I am. And, and yet, that's his, that's his plan. God is working with us and through us. He wants to share his joy with us in mission. 
And Jesus says, as the Father sent me, I send them. Jesus was an alien to this world, and the Bible says that we are as well, strangers in a strange land. The only kingdom that we belong to is the kingdom of God. And if you remember the story of Abraham, back in Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham from his country, and he sends him to the promised land. And Abraham, you see, is on a mission from God. And God promises to bless him. And the purpose of that blessing is so that Abraham will bring God's blessing to the nations. Now, what would make a man leave his country and family and go to a foreign land and stake out a claim for God like that? Well, it would only happen if that man had had an encounter with God, only if he has God's life-changing power within him. So like Abraham, like Jesus, we're sent out, and you will only be blessed in order to be a blessing to others. There's no dead-end streets in the kingdom of God. We're all intersections of grace. So, So it's the same thing for the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, there's that great story there of of Isaiah going, he's going into the sanctuary to worship, and while he's there, he wasn't prepared for this, while he's there, he has a life-changing encounter with God. He's suddenly in the actual presence of God in all his holiness, and he is undone by the power and the presence of God. And he cries out, woe is me. For I am a man of unclean lips. He's listening to the angels sing holy, holy, holy. And he realizes he cannot join the heavenly song because he has unclean lips. And the Lord heals his lips with fire from the altar. And how does Isaiah respond to that life-changing encounter? Well, Isaiah 6, 8 says, And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Now, if you've read the rest of that story, and most people don't, God sends him out to preach to a people who are hard-hearted and they're not going to listen. And Isaiah goes, really, Lord? How, how, How long do I have to do that? Now, what would motivate Isaiah to follow through and go to such a ministry to preach to a church that would never listen? That his, his, his job, instead of being a church planter, was a church closer. He would go and preach the gospel till everybody was tired of the truth, and they'd run him off, and he'd go to the next church. They'd close the doors. Or they'd keep them open and just pretend, right? So, what what would, what would cause a man to follow through with that kind of ministry? Only the power and the joy of the Spirit. So you see, like Isaiah, like Jesus, we're sent out at odds with the culture that we live in. T- take the American dream, for example. You know, the American dream is that the purpose of our great freedom in this country and our prosperity is so that we can pursue our personal dreams and be successful and be prosperous and be comfortable with as little government interference as possible. Well, that's at least the Republican dream. But, but the gospel says that the purpose of my freedom is to live for Christ faithfully and love others sacrificially and therefore to reveal his glory. And you know, the gospel teaches that I can, 
I can have a joyful, fulfilled life regardless of whether I live in a free land, even if I don't own my own home, even if I'm living in a tent because of an earthquake. My joy does not depend on those circumstances. In fact, the Bible teaches that as a Christian, I'm an alien in America. And I live for eternity, and I store up my treasure in heaven because like Abraham, I'm looking for a city whose foundation and builder is God. And the legacy that I want to leave for my children and my grandchildren and great-grandchildren, if, I, if I'm uh, blessed to get them, I want to leave them the legacy of Christ. It doesn't matter whether I give them any money. The gospel teaches that my neighbors and the unbelievers I know are worth the sacrifice of my time and my prayer and my money in order to reveal to them the glory of Christ. Now, how will you ever swim against the tide of the missionaries of our culture who are bombarding us every day with the image of a good life that's based on personal fulfillment, personal comfort, and excess riches so that we can retire in leisure and fish? That's the dream, right? One of our, uh, one of my colleagues, one of our staff members of ELI is a man named Alan Monroe. He's 80 years old. Uh, he was with me in India in the fall. He was a professor at Cedar, uh, Cedarville University, Cedarville College in Ohio for 30, 35 years. And uh, he taught theology and ethics and other things there. And when he was 65, he was retiring to the good life. He had his pension and he had a heart attack. And as he lay in his bed in the hospital, he said, okay, Lord, you got my attention. What, what is it you want me to do? And he pledged there to spend the rest of his life traveling the globe to, to, to train pastors who had no training. So he's been doing that now for 15 years. So Alan, this winter, he lives in, uh, near Brevard in, in North Carolina. This winter... He was feeling some heart problems. He's he's always been a little overweight. He's worked at his weight, and he's been riding the bike an hour a day and uh, living in a retirement village with his wife. And uh, she's actually a year older. She's 81, and she's still traveling the world, setting up libraries for Christian organizations. And um, he started having problems again with his heart, and he was short of breath and feeling bad, and he went to Haiti to teach, and while he was there, he collapsed. And he came home, and they did the scan, and he's got blockages in his heart. And the doctor said, I can fix this with a stent, or we can do a bypass, and, or actually several. And Alan's question was, he says, I'm scheduled to go with one of my colleagues again to India in September. I want whatever will allow me to go there. And the doctor said, well, then we can't do the stent. We'll have to do the bypass. So... In uh, March, he had quadruple bypass surgery so that he can continue to travel to India and China and preach the good news. You see, you won't do that. You can't do that. Not without the power of the Holy Spirit. So we pray, oh, Father, would you fill us again with your Holy Spirit and give us the joy of mission? And what about the missionaries of our church culture that say, keep your family and your kids separated from the world so that we'll be safe and untainted? 
How will you swim against that message from inside the church? Oh, Father, would you fill us again with your Holy Spirit and give us the joy of mission? You see, living a missional life, a countercultural, Christ-centered life aimed at your community will not appeal to your natural instincts. It won't. I can jazz you up on a Sunday morning and you'll walk away wanting to do better, but tomorrow's Monday and you'll forget. And if you even remember the three points of my sermon, it'll be a miracle. I know how this works. I know how I work. It will not appeal to your sinful nature or your religious nature. Only a heart saturated with the truth of the gospel, focusing on Christ by the power of the Spirit, will say yes to the mission call of Jesus. Only motivated by the joy of the Holy Spirit. So we pray, Father, fill us again with your Spirit. Would you give us the joy of mission? And so that takes us to the third thing that I wanted to show you this morning, and that's protected by the name. Look again at the passage at verse 11 and 12. He says, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. And then verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So, you know, Jesus is leaving, and the disciples need the same kind of protection that they've had while Jesus is there. He's been protecting them. And now he's leaving. And that protection has always been by the power of God's name, which means that all his resources and all his attributes were working for his disciples, for their good. Now, they're going to be hated for the gospel. Jesus promises them that. And and we see that in India. You don't feel that much here except for some political oppression from secular progressives. But in India, they're beaten for believing the gospel. And and they need protection, not from the suffering necessarily itself. All of these apostles, almost all died a martyr's death. They need protection from disunity and from fear and from distraction and temptation and dragons inside the church. Now, see, those are the weapons of the evil one. Now, do you see that, that they don't need protection from loss or even physical harm, but they need protection from unbelief that goes with those trials that would get them off mission, that would tempt them to quit or to tempt them to seek worldly power and prestige and position, which is so easy to do. Beloved, we need that same protection because we easily get off mission from fear and disunity. We're easily distracted by our flesh, sometimes even by good things. So I I thought of lots of things this morning. I could make a list of things that distract us from mission, but but I wanted to highlight three quick things that that pertain to us. And the first one is a lack of holiness. We, We talked about this the last time I was here in this passage. Jesus prays in verse 17 and 19 that we would be sanctified that we would be made holy, that we would be set apart, consecrated for God's glory. And yet when you read your Bible, 
Man, the Old Testament, it reads like a who's who of God's people who are no different than the pagan cultures around them. That's the constant temptation is to take on that culture, even though they were called to be different. Israel was so often off mission. You know, right now it's hard to tell the difference in America between the church and the unchurched in our culture. Everybody seems to have the same values and dreams for their kids, the American dream. College, good jobs, riches, real estate, houses, land, cars, electronics now get added to the list. Every imaginable recreation or sport. You know, our kids just won't be happy unless they get to try four or five sports a year, right? This is part of the comfort idol that we serve. That there's something here that matters so much that we've got to give our lives for it. But what matters here are the people, not all that stuff. The prosperity church says, well, God guarantees those blessings. And the liberal church preaches tolerance for every kind of sin. Just live for yourself, go for whatever you can. And the conservative church offers moralism. Even Peter got off mission, letting his Jewish culture and identity dictate his behavior to the the Galatians. And if you remember the story, Paul had to rebuke him and remind him publicly that he was off mission from a gospel lifestyle because he was mistreating people. So here's my question for you this morning. Have you ever written or at least thought about some goals for your life or for your children? What's your personal mission and calling from God? What are you supposed to be doing? Aside from the grind of getting up in the morning, eating, going to work, coming home and eating and watching a little bit of dancing with the stars and then going to bed. (laughs) What are the top two things? I know your pastor will like this question. What are the top two things you'd personally like to accomplish through your church this year? This year for the glory of Christ. Two things. What are they? Have you thought about it? Have you prayed about it? Two things that you'd like to accomplish through this church this year in your community. Now, the second distraction is politics. You know, the Tea Party on the right thinks we're entitled to freedom. The, the, uh, the Occupy Wall Street on the left thinks that we're all entitled to free housing and health care. Beloved, everything we have is a gift from God. And as sinners, we're not entitled to anything. You know that, right? There are no entitlements. It's all grace. Hear me well. Now, I love our Constitution and think it's the best government ever devised by men. And and we've strayed far from it, probably. But there is no salvation in politics, and there is no Christian party. And if there was, what would it be? Presbyterian, Baptist, or Pentecostal? (laughs) Would it be liberal or conservative? You know, I, I hear conservatives say, how could anybody, how could any Christian, how could they be a Democrat? And And I hear liberals say, how could any Christian ever be a Republican? Now, beloved, we need solid Christians with integrity to be Democratic Party leaders and Republican Party leaders and to be elected to office. But but we we need that just like we need Christian artists and Christian musicians and Christian lawyers. I'm not sure there is such a thing, but but... But, but Christian doctors and engineers and managers 
and bank tellers and grocery clerks and restaurant waiters. We know all those things. The church should infiltrate all of the culture for the glory of Christ. You see, the reason that politics is such a draw is that it offers the illusion of cultural change from the top down and it offers transformation without sacrifice or service. All you got to do is vote for the right person and it'll all get fixed, right? If we just had the right president or the right governor or the right representative or the right mayor, then it'd all be good. That way I don't have to sacrifice and do the work of the gospel. You see, that's why, that's why it's such an attraction. It's an illusion. Beloved, if good policy produced good people, then my family would never have problems. And we do. We struggle. What we need, what we do need, and what we do want from politics is the answer to Paul's prayer in 1 Timothy chapter 2, that we might be left alone enough to live holy lives of love and mission for the glory of Christ. You see, the gospel alone is the power of God unto salvation, and the culture needs a church on mission more than it needs voting for the right people. Now, the third thing that I wanted to highlight this morning is discouragement. You know, ministry is hard. Christ says that if they rejected me, they will reject you. You know, most churches grow slowly. I heard a pastor of a large church say recently, he says, well, you know, we didn't really grow that fast. People always ask that we grow fast. And he says it was only by about 100 members a year. And I'm sitting in the room with a bunch of guys who pastored churches of 150. I'm thinking, are you kidding me? 100 people a year, that's slow growth. We're doing something really wrong then. That, uh, the truth is that most churches grow slowly. And, and that discourages pastors and ministers. I know y'all are growing, so you're excited. But sometimes there's disunity. Even growth will bring disunity. There's never enough money. There's always criticism in how the money's spent. And no matter how much service you give to people, many will not be thankful and some will return to sin. I guarantee you will be betrayed by a Judas at some point in your life. It happens to everybody. And then discouragement comes from trials. You know, I can generally tell someone's spiritual maturity by their attitude towards their struggles and suffering. In a rich nation like ours, we lose sight of the fact that comfort is not the chief goal and in a sinful world, struggle is the norm. And, and that life in a sinful world is hard. Here's what Peter says in 1 Peter 4. He says, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And you see, the protection against the discouragement is God's name. That's what we cling to. The only real peace, comfort, and satisfaction comes from the gospel itself. That's why one of my favorite short verses in the Bible, this is easy to remember. Lamentations 1, verse 24. The prophet Jeremiah says, he's, he's wrestling and complaining to God about the struggles. And right in the middle of that wrestling match, he goes, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is my portion. You know, that's what we're celebrating at the Lord's table this morning. 
that feasting at his table is the real goal. That's the comfort I seek. The Lord is my portion. So let me finish this morning by telling you about another pastor and another church in the coastal plains in Guatemala. Again, a story from Jim Boyce. Not in the mountains this time, but in the plains. And in that culture, everyone works nonstop 11 months of the year, night and day. It's an agricultural culture. They're always at work. And there's no time for extras. The pastor has no time for people to do ministry. And they have... But yet, they have almost one month a year without anything to do. And so the young pastor of that church realized that this one month was all that he had to make an impact in the culture, to do evangelism. So here's what they did. They sent out a team to find villages that didn't have a strong church. And then the entire church, pastor, elders, deacons, everyone moved temporarily to that village for a month. Now, thatch holds, it's easier to build than a brick when I, I realized that. And then what they would do when they got there is they would do evangelism day and night. They went door-to-door witnessing, then they would buy a piece of property, and they would build a church, and they left a new pastor in charge of the new converts. Over an 11-year period, they planted 11 churches, one a year, all of them growing, and some have grown to over 1,000 members. You see, the church realized that their whole life was lived on mission for Christ, and when they were away from the demands of work, the pursuit of other folks for Christ was front and center of their lives. Beloved, we need protection from the world and from the evil one and from our own flesh and desires so that we might know the joy of being sent like Christ. And the Lord gives that protection to those who ask. Father, would you help us? You see, the bad news is is that if you're committed to follow Jesus, but your life is built around your goals instead of the mission of being sent into the world, if if you're a consumer Christian, then you may reach your goals... And you may consume, but your life will lack the joy of the Holy Spirit, the joy of the gospel. And when you really look at it, you're going to feel empty when your goals are met and you'll need to consume some more. Because consuming always leaves you empty. And the bad news is, is that if you've built your life around around something other than Jesus, then then you're going to miss eternal life and the real joy of heaven altogether. But there is good news, beloved. There's incredible good news. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus died on a cross for our sins, even the sin of not being missional. And he rose from the dead to give us eternal life and to make us his ambassadors. He was missional in our place so that we could be. And if you will turn from yourself and you'll put your faith in Christ alone, then he'll give you that life and he'll give you his mission for your life and you will be filled with joy. So I invite you to come in out of the cold, feast at the Father's table, where, we're, where, where we come to get re-energized and sent back on mission. And get a mission from Christ so that you may go and give with fullness of joy and blessings forevermore. Because you see, as the Father sent Christ, he is sending us. And that, my friends, is the glorious grace of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's a hard word this morning, Lord. Anything that challenges our comfort, well, it's always hard on me, Lord. And so I pray that as we...
consider these challenges that we would see them not as disruptions or look at them with guilt. But Father, we would consider the grace of the work done in in us that would offer us a release from the bondage of pursuing power and prestige and position and worldly comfort and instead would pursue the joy of Christ by being beggars who found bread and who share with other beggars where there's good bread. Would you do that work in us, Lord? Fill us with the joy of your spirit, that that would be the focus of our life and that our treasure would be built up in heavenly places. Would you bless us so that we can be a blessing to others? <coughs> and when you do that, Lord, we, we will boast only in Christ, not even in our success in doing mission. For it's all of grace. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.